The Sports Career Podcast, episode 185, how to transition your skill sets from sports into the business world. Sports Achiever and welcome back to tuning into the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers and before I talk about today's podcast special guest, I just want to ask if you've joined my Sports Career Mastermind group on Facebook. It's a free group where people can connect and build a network in the sports industry around the world. It's also a great way to really showcase your ideas and where you want to go in the sports industry and bounce ideas with other like-minded people. If this is something you're interested in, go to education2sport.com forward slash FB and I look forward to seeing you in the group. Now, as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in business. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Karen Seal. Karen has a fascinating sports career journey and very inspiring as well. He is a Paralympic athlete with over 15 years in elite sport. Also, he captained the English blind football team. Now he's applying his skill sets from elite sports into the business world. For that reason, I'm really fascinated about what Kieran is currently doing now and how he's applying those skill sets. And it's great to have him as a special guest on the show. That's when today's episode, Kieran will share his sports career journey and explain to you how you can apply your skill sets from sports into the business world. Karen, it's such a privilege to have you on the podcast show. Please, could you share to listeners your sports career journey? When did it all start? Oof, uh, there's a long-winded, uh, <laughs> it's a long-winded answer for you. Uh, I think coming up in a second, Ed. But firstly, thank you very much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to uh, to speaking with you today. But yeah, my career journey is a little bit of a of a strange one. Um, uh, I'm sure from the from the intro that you put out there, it's. Uh, it's a disability sport uh, background, um, primarily in blind football, uh, but also I've got a, a sort of slightly less successful uh, career background in, in international blind cricket as well. Would you mind just going back in time, because we've spoken on the phone before this conversation, could you just talk about how sport has influenced you from a child and which led you to become an elite athlete in blind football? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, so uh, I was born with uh, with visual impairment, um, and it wasn't really spotted until I was kind of two, three years old. And you know, it wasn't a, a very, very serious condition at the time. But my mum had noticed something wasn't quite right, um, and yeah, I got assessed, and I'd had a, a condition diagnosed with the, with the back of the eye with the retina uh, that meant I was partially sighted from birth. And I mean, I had about about sort of 15, 20% vision, which in actual terms means I could see kind of 15 meters ahead of me quite clearly. Or if you're looking at the eye chart and the opticians, sort of the top couple of lines on that clearly. So it, it was, you know, a fair bit of functional vision, but I didn't really have any kind of 
disability kind of peers around me. So within the small valley that I grew up in, South Wales, you know, there wasn't really any of the disabled people that that I knew of, really. Um, So I kind of grew up playing sort of sport with all my uh, sighted, you know, able-bodied peers, the same as everyone else. So, uh, you know, I was playing rugby from kind of eight or nine years old. Uh, Football took up a little bit later and then a little bit later after that, some cricket. So it was... um, very much introduced to sport just through my, just through my friends um, and not knowing anything different about there being any other avenues with regards to disability sports. Uh, it wasn't until I hit, I suppose, 16, I believe, uh, when my mum, by pure chance, was, uh, was an estate agent and she uh, sold a house to a guy who was partially sighted, who was playing partially sighted football. Uh, and he was telling her all about the leagues that they play in the National League that for partially sighted football where they, they play all over the country and at that time I was a very average player played in my sort of uh, local uh, local club side uh, within the local leagues so a little bit for my school team um, not very successfully um, so I kind of got introduced to this guy and I just started playing uh, visually impaired VI partially sighted football uh, in the national leagues, a 16-year-old kid with all these 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 men that have been playing for years, and it was kind of a, for want of a better phrase, a real eye opener for me to see that I could kind of mix it with with these kind of uh, grown men and play on on a very similar level to them. Whereas when I was playing uh, with all my sighted peers in in my able-bodied teams, I was very much uh, scrapping just to get a place in the first 11 and very often not even that so I was always trying to just carve a niche for myself within these able-bodied teams but then found when I went to, to partially side sport I could uh, I could kind of uh, mix it and not really um, be at too much of a disadvantage. Just before we talk about your blind football sort of football career journey where does cricket fit in the mix of all this out of interest yeah so yeah cricket was a kind of uh so from the, the football team i played for it was uh, a partially sighted football team called the south wales dragons and it was a, a visually impaired sports club that also had an offshoot um and that offshoot was uh cricket as well as uh, there was a judo club as well but i played started playing for the cricket team as a result of playing for the football team uh as a partially sighted person uh, and again, got to travel all over the country, you know, places I, I would have never gone as a, as a 16, 17 year old lad um, playing the, these really cool tournaments all over the UK. Um, and it was tour- I played cricket probably more seriously after 18 or 19 than I did football. Um, and I think it was partly because the, the team atmosphere and culture was more enjoyable Um and yeah, it was it was that that reason I, I carried on playing cricket a little bit more than than partially sighted football. And towards the end of my A levels, um, I unfortunately lost the remaining sight that I had. Sort of quite a, a shock couple of months really, where I returned back to college where I was coaching, uh, and uh, one one day I couldn't see from one end of the pitch very clearly as as I could the, the week before, and I'd had a, a pretty much a full retinal detachment, um, which meant that. The, the site I had w- was going really quickly and I had to have that uh, operation to um, to try and rectify that, reverse it, or even just stop the, the deterioration. Um, uh, it was unfortunate that I probably had the operation a little bit too slow. And within a couple of months, um, the, the site had pretty much gone by the time I got to have the operation and I was left as uh, you know a, a totally blind player. But the, 
the good thing about blind cricket or partially you know, visually impaired cricket is you have a, a mixture of sight categories within the team. So you have four blind players and you have seven partially sighted players. So I was invited back to play for that club about six weeks after losing my sight um, as one of the totally blind players in the team. And again, got back to play with all the same people who had been my friends and, and teammates before. Um, and through, you know, sort of half a season of, no, I wouldn't say I did well, but I, I didn't do awfully. Uh, I was kind of uh, fast-tracked into the England blind cricket um, squad for a home series against Pakistan. Um, I didn't play in that series, but uh, I trained and I 12th manned and I just kind of got involved in it all. And then off the back of that, that same summer of 2000, uh, winter of 2002, um, I was selected to play at the, uh, the second blind cricket World Cup in India in Chennai. Uh, and spent four really happy weeks out there with the England blind cricket team where I broke into the first team and played every single uh, match of that tournament. Out of interest, what did you learn from that experience going out to India? Well, firstly, yeah, the, I'd never been anywhere further than Brittany before that. So so India was, was quite an experience. And, and, to, and to date, of all the countries I've been to for, for all my sports, it remains the, the single best experience I've ever had in the country I'd like to go back and visit again. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the main thing I learned from that was there was all these guys from different backgrounds, lost their sight in different ways um, and were doing real interesting jobs outside of cricket, but were there having fun. And it what it made me realize after losing my sight, you know, I went through a couple of dark months, you know, even as good as far as being quite agoraphobic and scared to leave the house and scared people to see people I'd see, you know, known before, uh, before losing my sight. You know, I went I went to India and again you saw people living, you know, some you know, some very poor lives out there, um, and getting on with it. And again, with the same with my teammates. They'd all gone through the same thing I'd gone through in in various different ways and you kinda of realised that life is, is pretty good and without losing my sight, I wouldn't actually have had the chance to go and play in a cricket world cup. Uh, and, and be able to travel the globe like I had. So when I got back home from India, you know, I, I had a renewed positivity about about my kind of future life, um, and sort of sort of started beginning planning the next chapter. Really. Well, firstly, Karen, I want to thank you again. I know we spoke on the phone a couple of weeks ago with regards to you sharing that story with me, and it still gives me goosebumps because I think a lot of people, like you said just now briefly, when you lose some sort of part of you like very quickly my father had a stroke and he didn't know how to adapt but now he's opened up to new friendship groups so if you don't mind from an educational standpoint and people are listening live would you mind just providing some encouragement that even when we lose a disability there's always people out there you may not have met yet but that's how new opportunities arise would you mind just sharing that side of things because I think this is quite important yeah yeah yeah, absolutely, and it kind of that that kind of point brings me back to you know some stuff I was sharing with some teammates I was out with a couple of days ago, and, and some guys who, without my disability, without without the friendship groups and sport that I found, wouldn't be my friends today, um, and you know without losing my eyesight, I wouldn't have had to move to a different part of the country to study. Um, through that move, I wouldn't have met my my wife, um, and certainly had the three children that I've had. And again, you know, some of the, the the best friends I have 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 come through the sport that I've played as an adult, as a visually impaired adult, uh, and meant that you know without that disability, I wouldn't have ever met those people or got the experiences I've had. You know, I've been able to represent my country over 150 times in two different sports, and I think I last count it was like 27 countries across the world. And again, without 
that you know without my disability i certainly wouldn't have visited half that amount of countries or met some of the amazing people that i have so yeah i, I do feel fortunate well, thank you for sharing that. But now I need to talk about your mindset because earlier you said to me, you said you're an average footballer. What triggered you to go, right, I'm going to be an elite blind football player? And could you just talk about your career? Because this is inspiring. This inspires me a lot. Yeah, again, it's a little bit of a, bit of a weird one, which a lot of my um, my journey is really. It's kind of right place, right time. Um, but yeah, I, I played international cricket from 2002 to 2007. And kind of towards the back end of that is when I started kind of investigating this blind football journey. Um, and again, it was by pure happenstance, really, that a friend of mine was studying at a different visually impaired college, somebody I played cricket with, um, and he was a student of the international blind football coach for the England team back then. His name was Tony Larkin, the coach, and he's kind of the, the grandfather of, uh, of, of blind football in the UK and had, had coached the England blind team from 1989 after finishing as a, as a pro player for Worcester and Hereford. Um, and my friend had heard from from tony that somebody had pulled out of an england camp on the day when they were going to have a training game uh, and then let that meant that they were they were down a player uh, and they were going to struggle and my friend said oh you know i've i've got this friend karen he's kind of in in cricket at the moment he's looking to come out of it for different reasons uh, and you know i used to play football with him and you know he's okay so you know maybe maybe you want to give him a call so it was the, it was the friday morning of this camp tony gives me a call uh, and said, you know, this is the situation. Would you like to come to the England camp? And yeah, three hours later, I was on the train to Hereford and playing with guys like David Clark and Darren Harris, who'd been playing for their country for for over ten years and played in you know, you know European Championships and World Cups. And all of a sudden, I'd never kicked a ball as a blind person. And I was on the same training field as these guys. So it was uh, very much a sink or swim experience for me, really. So just on that note, um, because the one thing I admire talking to elite athletes, for example, on the show, I've had uh, Baroness Tenny Gray Thompson um, and she sort of said to me about mindset. When was the moment when you really dedicated yourself to that sport? I think I kind of dedicated myself to it. Really, it was after I'd made my international debut. Um, it was when I saw what was possible. Um, so the London Paralympics or London being awarded the host um, status in 2005 was, was something that the first captured my imagination. And I thought, wow, this, you know, this is a Paralympic sport now. Wouldn't it be amazing to compete at Paralympics? You know, the very top level or top echelons of disability sport, you know, that really kind of focused my mind into, right, I want to be a blind footballer. Um, but I made, I, I went to my first England camp in May, 2005 and I made my debut after a couple of camps uh, in October 2005, uh, a tournament in Porto um, with Portugal and Spain. Uh, and I think seeing some of the Spanish guys playing, there's a guy that nobody had ever heard of, but it was a guy who inspired me, a, a Spanish player called Jose Lopez. Um, and seeing the sort of things he was able to do with the ball and with his teammates kind of inspired me. I thought, wow, that is what's possible as a blind footballer. And for one of the reasons I came out of cricket was uh there wasn't there wasn't a very fair way to assess whether people were actually blind or not in blind football all the players blindfolded and eye patched and you know that everybody's on the same level in cricket you weren't always sure uh but with blind football that really inspired me to see what was capable um and i think the point where i really really dedicated myself to it uh was 
after the 2007 European Championships, after I'd kind of established myself as a, as a starting uh, starting five player, um, and we were able through that 2007 Athens European Championships, we, we lost the final unfortunately, but by finishing in the top two, we qualified for Beijing. Uh, for the Beijing Paralympic Games, um, and from that point, that's where I really went. Yeah, I, w- I want this full time, uh, and I took the decision after that to move to Worcester University, where there was already a couple of other England blind players getting regular coaching, and at that time, that was quite unheard of um, for people to be get regular coaching outside of the camps because it wasn't as po- as uh, as professional as it is now with the pathways that are in place. So, yeah, I decided to go there. So, have another crack at university life at the same time as training full-time for the for the Beijing Games I think that was the time where I really started to take it seriously as, as a you know as a as a career path so what would you say the fundamentals people need to be an elite athlete in your opinion relating to your experience I think I think some of the things that, that we're going to talk about today in terms of transitioning you know elite athlete and and as somebody who wants to get on in, in business or in the world of um you know, the world of commerce i think i think a lot of the qualities you need are quite similar and it's something i've always asked to the teams that i've been in or managed uh it's got a lot of simple things you know it's it is a self-discipline um it is teamwork um and i think the other one the thing is is like a kind of I suppose a, a commitment, continuous improvement, uh, and those are like some of the three things I, I've always tried to try to start strive to be better in, and all of those three things because I've not always been amazing at those things, and sometimes I've been very average at some of those three things. But getting getting better at all of them uh, has enabled me to get better in both sport and in and in sort of my transition into into the real world. Before we talk about today's podcast topic, the one thing I do want to talk about as well because you've actually been the captain for the England blind team. Would you mind just sharing that experience as well? Yeah, well, that was, you know, again, one of the biggest honours of, of my sporting career. You know, after after the 2012 Paralympics, where Dave Clark, captain decide, and then retired after that, after, you know, a long and illustrious career, um, we were very fortunate to start receiving uh, backing from UK Sport at the time. Um, to to lottery fund eight of the players to become full time professional athletes. So you know, as well as playing for England before that, all the guys had jobs or were studying. Now this there was a chance for people to go part time or even focus on this full time. Uh, and I was one of those eight players. I was very fortunate to have been named, uh, you know, selected as captain by the the coach at the time, Graham Keeley. Uh, to be the first captain in the in the professional era, and I, um, I did that from 2003 uh, until sort of the middle of 2006, where I was kind of dismissed with not much warning. But the uh, the four the, those kind of four playing seasons, uh, you know, it was a great honour to captain the team. I learned a lot. It wasn't always easy. Um, I wasn't I wasn't a brilliant leader, I suppose. To start with, um, yeah, I think I was a, like a natural, maybe a natural leader or somebody that people would get behind, but I probably wasn't as good, always good at the soft skills. I probably developed towards the end of my leadership tenure as, as England skipper um, and then some of the stuff I've learned going into, uh, in, into business now as well, kind of uh, corporate management. Well, it really, really transitions well to this conversation with regards to today's podcast topic. And you've mentioned them already, but I would like you just to repeat them. In your opinion, what skill sets particularly have you transitioned from elite sports into the business world? 
Yeah, so like I suppose to touch upon the three things we mentioned earlier, like um, self-discipline. You know, it, it's a real, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it, if you're going to go into elite sport or sort of try and get on a business, it's a real non-starter if you haven't got self-discipline. Um, and to, to give you an example, of the company that I went into it after after I transitioned, this company called Air Marketing, so an outsourced sales company where essentially other businesses come and. Um, ask us to sell the products for them that they don't have resource for in-house to sell for themselves or want, to, or want us to set meetings for them. Um, so when I first joined the business, I joined with no sales experience as a business development executive, as they're called now. Uh, I was tasked with hitting the phone 8.30 to 5 o'clock, Monday to Friday. Um, and, you know, I, I trained on the job, I learned on the job, uh, I was again like I was as a as a blind footballer and as I was a cricketer, very very average to start with, a very average salesperson, um, the ability to have a conversation, but not with any of the psychological sales skills that you needed, uh, and maybe some of the resilience you needed to start with as well, because I took it very personally personally if I got rejected. But eventually, like anything, you kind of grow that resilience and that self discipline to keep coming back. To turn up on time you know turning up on time is an underrated quality but um it certainly is important you know the first call of the day is on behalf of one of our clients so you've got to be there ready to work before half past eight <laughs> you've got to be in place to make that first call at 8 30 um and be continuously hitting the phone and doing boring stuff pretty much all day every day um with probably 95 rejections and maybe a couple of sales per day uh, as recompense for that it's very much like being a, a, a an athlete you you go through hours and hours and hours of repetitive training not always stuff that's enjoyable to you but to, to get the reward of you know pulling on that england shirt um or scoring a goal or winning winning a game you know that's a lot like the rewards you get from sales so it's kind of self-discipline and, and resilience is uh i think one of the one of the key transferables i've kind of taken in and then the second one, if I'm correct, was a commitment to continuous learning. I really like that one. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think that's something that uh, has always come from from sport. You know, as a, as an England player, I, you know, we did a lot of training in our home areas, and so a lot of that was on your own. A lot of that was doing your own skills training, your own fitness works, um, strength training, whatever that might be. So it was all about how to get a little bit better each week. You know, how to get a little bit faster. How how to get squeeze out one more rep in your strength sessions. You know how to you know sort of knock out more skills under fatigue. You know it was that that commitment to right. I'm going to be a little bit better than I was last week. You know I know the the marginal gains philosophy is you know sort of being and gone, and you know that some people like to subscribe to it still. Uh, and you know it is a little bit of a cliche, but those those one percent are important because they do add up over the course of a year. So you know that continuous improvement. You take that into you know into the sales world. It's you know can I very simple you control the metrics you can control can i knock out another five calls the more than i did yesterday can i speak to two more decision makers than i spoke to yesterday you know those kind of skills are you know uh, are really important um you know the skills as a salesperson but the metrics behind that driver you know if you don't turn up and do what you need to do or hit the amount of uh, calls you need to make you're not going to get the amount of sales that you want or your client needs and it's the same with sport uh, you don't turn up and, and put x in you're not going to get y out so that that commitment to, to improve in every single week was key i really do hope the listeners are taking that all in uh, out of interest what have you been up to recently 
I finished working with, with Air Marketing Group at uh, the back end of 2019. Uh, we went through a couple of company restructures, and I sort of ended up into, in a role that wasn't really exciting me. It was it was mainly client-focused, and I was very much about a team. You know, like until, until November last year, I was running a team of 15 salespeople. So um, that interaction with the team was always my background um, and always my key interest, you know, especially with, you know, coming from a, from a team sport background and sort of not having the opportunity to do that anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so it didn't really excite me. It probably demoralized me a little bit. And I probably didn't have the resilience to carry on and do that just with clients. So uh, I've taken a step away from that now. I'm doing a little bit more kind of motivational speaking, lectures on disability sport, uh, talking a little bit about organizational transitions, whether it could go back to transitioning from um, uh, amateur sport then into the uh, professional sports era with the blind team and then again transitioning from, from professional sport into uh, into business. Uh, I think um, those are some things that a lot of corporates are, are, are liking to hear about lately. So I'm doing some more of that. And I've also got a new job started in a couple of months with a technology company called Cerbus. Um, uh, and they provide uh, secure mobile phone technology to companies that want to keep their, their data and their intellectual property secrets. So, uh, yeah, I'll be starting with them in a couple of months' time. Uh, but for now, yeah, I'm just doing uh, more of more of the speaking and uh, just kind of getting out there, really. Fantastic. And just on a personal note, Karen, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? Oh, there's so much to talk about. Um, the, the, the most. I can give you some highlights. You know, some of the highlights, you know, would have been uh, certainly that first World Cup in India being able to play in front of three and a half thousand people and uh, have my family there to watch uh, for the London Paralympics for football, you know, captain, captain of my country for, you know, for four seasons. Um, and something I've done in, in, in recent years as well is, is sort of coach uh, in the European blind uh, football club scene. So, you know, some of the experiences I've had coaching amateur clubs in, in the Czech Republic, Port, uh, Poland and Austria. You know, those are some, some memories and some friends, again, I wouldn't have had without my disability. So, you know, from the sports career and the sports background, those are, you know, would be some of our key highlights. Um, what well, I enjoyed the most, you know, is if you, when you look back at it, I think that the thing I, I will miss the most is kind of standing there in the, in the line, you know, arm in arm with your teammates after just pulling on that England shirt in the dressing room, singing the national anthem, and competing at those major tournaments. Those are those are the things that I'll I'll miss the most. So if you kind of reverse engineer it, that's probably what some of the things I've I've enjoyed the most is the ability to do that arm in arm with your teammates, but compete on the very biggest stage possible. And, you know, I haven't got the the gold medals to come away with it. A few silver and uh, bronze ones jangling around, but. Um, haven't quite ended up uh, winning what I set out to do. But they had again talked to my friends the other day and they said, would you do it all again in the knowledge that you weren't going to win anything? And maybe a couple of years ago, I probably would have said no. But looking back on it, after having retired a couple of years ago, I definitely would have said I'd do it all again because the experiences uh, and friendships I've got from it have been amazing. I don't know if you agree, but I think uh, a career is all about the memories you create. And this is certainly a memory I'm enjoying right in this present moment, uh, Karen, for sure. Seriously, I I've learned so much of just speaking to you and listening to you. And I like to finish with an inspirational question. And 
I want to ask you, what three tips would you give to people who really want to transition their skills when participating in sport into their career development? Yeah, again, it was, you know, some of the points we talked about earlier would come into it, but there's always three things I, I kind of asked of, of my team that I was managing, and I certainly asked of myself as well. And it was, it was turn up, and that meant turning up on time, ready to go. It was uh, have a good attitude, and that might be being positive, or that might be being resilient, or it might be just getting on with whatever you need to do. Uh, and it was work hard, you know. Is you know, you either work smart or work hard. But it was work hard. Come in, hit your numbers, do what you need to do. Um, because if you can do that in sport, you'll be able to do that in business anyway. And I know a lot of this podcast is about people, <clears throat> excuse me, that want to work in the in the sports industry. And I'm probably the the opposite way around. That somebody that's worked in sport or played in sport and has come at, coming out the other side of it now and being in business. Although I'd, I'd love to work in the sports industry at some point, but. I think both those things are interchangeable each way. You know, if if you turn up on time and are ready to work hard from from the get go and have a good attitude about you, I think you're going to succeed in whatever you do. Well, thank you so much for sharing those tips. I really do hope the listeners take that on board. How can people interact with you on social media? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot of the time, sort of talking nonsense most of the time, <laughs> commenting on things and trying to wind people up. But uh, no, I, I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, uh, and I am on Twitter. So on Twitter, I'm Karen Seal Four, number four. So K E R Y N S E A L number four. Um, and yeah, that, that's about that's about it for, for me on the on the uh, social medias. I don't do the uh, the Instagrams or the Facebooks, but LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, you'll certainly find me lurking around. That is great. To all the listeners listening in, those two links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Karen, it's 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 been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Ed. Really appreciate your time. One inspiring podcast chat with Karen. It's interviews like this that inspire me to be a better individual, a better person, and also better with regards to my vision, with regards to my podcast show. There are so many learning lessons I've taken from this interview. Firstly, with regards to Karen's journey in sport and how he transitioned into the business world, but also his personal story of how he turned sort of adversity with regards to his eyesight into success, with regards to making life limitless, meaning he's managed to apply that adversity but put it into something positive in the world of sport like to hear his journey from blind cricket to then football and then being a captain for his national team England it's just so inspiring that whatever's possible can be possible but with regards to today's topic podcast topic and how to apply transferable skills in sport into business i hope you've got a better understanding that they there are linkables meaning having the ability to be self-disciplined having the ability to keep learning and where you want to go are two examples which are transferable in the world of sport but also transferable in the business world and without a doubt there are areas of karen's interview which I'm applying myself like the self-discipline that is my word for 2020 being more disciplined with regards to my lifestyle but also how I work to work smarter not really harder so honestly I'm learning as just as much as you are listening and if you are listening to this it means you are dedicating your time to your own personal self-development so on that note I really do hope you found this podcast chat interesting and apply Karen's career tips to your sports career journey today and make it happen. 
Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Karen said, if you turn up, have a great attitude, work hard. If you apply those three simple things in sports or in business, you will succeed whatever you do.